Welcome to this week's episode of The Mixtape with Scott. I'm Scott Cunningham, the host. This week's episode is with an economist that's a legend. Uh, many of us, is definitely to me, because many of us learned econometrics from him. It's the econometrician, textbook author, and early software developer, William Green, Professor Emeritus at New York University. He's since retired and is now teaching at the University of South Florida, where uh, he lives as, and has retired. Uh, Bill taught many of us econometrics, not because we took his classes, but because we used his textbook. His textbook has gone through eight editions. It's massive. It was very influential for many decades. I learned econometrics on that book. And as I shared with him, even though we used Wooldridge uh, for a lot of my classes, for some reason, I always went back to Bill's book uh, when studying for exams. I use all the books. I'm a big fan. Jeff Wooldridge, Cameron Trevetti, Mostly Harmless. But I have a real deep fondness for Bill and Bill's book. In this interview, we talked about growing up on uh, in Long Island, uh, moving to Ohio as a kid and the disruptions that, that caused his family and discovering math while he was in high school, going to college, grad school, the whole spiel that I do with most of the guests. But his path was really interesting to me to hear a little bit more about uh, the adoption of computing in econometrics and applied work early on and how his own skills in the area of uh, software um, ended up being a perfect, a very complementary with econometrics and how it sort of had a big impact on his career and really the careers of many other people through him. I don't want to spoil anything, so I'm just going to leave it at that, but I hope you enjoy this interview as much as me. But just want to end with this little comment, the ethos of the show, uh, for those that are tuning in for the first time, the ethos of the show is, is that stories matter. Uh, this is not the story of Bill Green, Professor Emeritus at NYU. There's no such thing as the story. There's only a story told by someone listened to. It's always got selection bias. It's always something that shapes, uh, that gets reshaped as we hear it. But we have to try to hear the stories of other people, uh, not make them sock puppets and listen to them in their own words. I believe that it's important uh, for validating the lives of other people, but I also think it's important even for navigating our own life. We need each other. We need these lights along the path of our own careers and our own lives. We need each other's stories. It's with stories, I think, that many of us, maybe not you, but me and many others, we use people's stories to navigate our own life, our own story, to make sense of it. And I think that that might sound touchy-feely, but I believe it's also true for us as economists and data scientists and whoever else is listening to this. Um, hearing the story of economists is important. Because they're important and people are important and the career, the profession is important. Um, so I hope that you enjoy this. I'm a big fan of the econometricians, as you know. It's so much fun to listen to their story and to learn a little bit more about uh, our origins as applied people and as econometricians. So uh, thanks again for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this interview. It is my pleasure to have uh, a, a legend, uh, to me anyway, a person uh, that that taught me a lot as uh, in my career about econometrics, uh, Dr. Dr. William Green. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. I look forward to it. Well, for the sake of the people that are listening, I've already said your name, Bill Green, but maybe you could sort of say the the organization that you sort of are affiliated with is, and who pays your paycheck right now? Well, right now I'm an emeritus professor at the Stern School of Business at NYU, but I'm uh, I'm teaching part time at the University of South Florida in Tampa. So I I teach an econometrics course at at that university. Awesome, awesome. Great. Well, this is really an honor and I'm super, it's really nice to meet you. But before we jump into the questions, I thought we could start with just an icebreaker. Um, what's a vacation that you took as a kid with your family that, uh, whether it was like being a little kid, well, I, yeah, I guess either a vacation you took as a kid with your family or as an adult with your family, what's a vacation that you still find yourself thinking about uh, even now from time to time? Well, as a, as a kid, we took a uh, trip to Washington, D.C. and saw the 
buildings and the government so forth. That, that was that was a nice trip. Mm. Uh, as an adult, I've done uh, several cruises uh, with uh, with my previous family, with my current family. Um, that, that, that's always nice. Yeah. Where all have you cruised? What's the what's the most interesting place that you went to? Well, we've gone to uh, Europe, cruised the the Rhine. Um, I, I taught a short course in uh, Peru, and on the way back, we stopped in Machu Picchu, which uh, is kind of on my bucket list, actually. So that that was a great trip. We really wow. enjoyed that. Wow. Ma Machu Picchu is is just something to be seen. It's really impressive. Huh. I don't know about that location. Where is that location? It's on the west coast of South America. Oh, wow. Oh, that's cool. I've actually never been on a cruise. I've always, so you've enjoyed well, that, wasn't, that wasn't part of a cruise. My, my wife and oh. I just went there. I, I taught a short course at the university Oh, down there, and we stopped at Machu Picchu on the way back. That, that is worth seeing. Oh, wow. Wow. I'm going to Google that. Okay. Cool. Well, so let's get started. So I wanted to start when you were a kid. So where'd you, where are you from originally? Well, until I was 12, I lived in a kind of middle-class North Shore suburb in Long Island. Uh, when, when we were, when I was 13, we moved to a little tiny town on the shore of Lake Erie in Ohio, uh, which is where I went to high school. And then uh, on to Ohio State for my undergraduate. Mm, okay, so you grew up in Long Island, but then you moved to Ohio. When That's you correct. In twelve, okay. Oh. There was a, there was a, this was in nineteen fifty-eight to sixty. It was a bad recession, mm. and uh, we 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 moved to Ohio out of uh, economic necessity. Oh, which what was that? I actually don't know about that recession. What what that was the late fifties. That was the late nineteen fifties. That's correct. Oh, what was that recession? Just out of curious, if I'll forget. Well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not that kind of economist. I'm not that kind of economist. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not that's not this kind of podcast either. I guess we don't think about macro recessions. Um, I'm going to Google that. Okay, so that so your so what job? What what was your what did your parents do for a living? I guess the well, my, my dad was a chemical engineer. Oh, and uh, my mom was a homemaker. Although she went to college, I don't think she was entirely happy about the way that all played out. Yeah. Yeah. She, wait. So your dad, his, he lost his job in that recession. That's at that, correct. At that chemical, uh, that, that chemical engineering job. He, he was with Allied Chemical Company in New York. Oh, did they become Allied Signal? I'm not sure. Oh, okay. I don't know. So he, he ended up having to relocate. I, I suspect not, by the way. I think they're still Allied Chemical. Oh, okay. Okay. He, so he ended up losing that job in that recession. Do you remember yeah, he, much of that? Not really. I was only 10 or 11 years old. Huh. That can be a difficult time to move, though. It was. Yeah. My my mother especially was very unhappy about it. She was a, a dyed-in-the-wool New Yorker. Oh. And ended up in a small town in Ohio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Long Island. That's... that. What was it like growing up in Long Island, though? Uh, it, it's quite nice. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a leafy suburb, uh, mm. very, very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get up, did, you, did your family get up to the, the city a lot when you live in a place like Long Island back then? Well, it was right next door, uh, actually. Y'all would vacate, y'all would like go into town and... Well, and we, from time to time. My, my grandfather had a business in Manhattan, mm. so we we ended up going into town every so often. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I've, I've always loved New York city. The, I mean, the culture of it, I've always just, I grew up in Mississippi, but I've always wanted to just, I guess all the great, uh, so many great American movies that I grew up on, they're always in New York. So like my, whole, right. my whole right. childhood, I just felt like I was always eavesdropping on life in New York city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then they moved to Ohio. Do you have any siblings? I have a brother and a sister. My, my sister's older. Yeah. Uh, Were they my much brother's, older? I'm oh, sorry. My sister, my sister's five years older than I am. My brother is uh, four years younger. Oh. I'm, I'm the middle child. So your sister, she was late high school. 
when the move happened. That's correct. So that might have, was that hard for that, her? That, that, that move was disruptive for all of us, but yeah. it was not like we had a choice. Right. I had the same thing. My dad lost his job in uh, Mississippi. Uh, uh, he had a company that did all the payroll for the county and all these, con and then the personal computer kind of came and he just started losing contracts slowly. And then we just huh. had to move to Memphis, but it was, it was very hard. Yeah. Moving, moving as a kid in like seventh, eighth grade high school is just, uh, it can, it can be either, it can, it, for a lot, it was hard for me. Um, so your dad, so your mom, so she, she was, so, so y'all moved to Ohio. What right. kind of stuff, what kind of, what were your interests like? And in, when you were like, you know, in middle school and high school? Well, I, I was on the swim team. I played baseball. Um, I picked up an interest in math. Mm. The, uh, the the state of Ohio has these math councils. They they have these contests that so they did at the time. And I participated in some math competitions. Oh, wow. As like a 12, 13, 14-year-old, like as you were in, going into high school? Um. That was high school. That, that was like sophomore, junior year in high school. That's like that math, that like math Olympics kind of getting into that high level competitive math. I, I guess so. I don't, I don't know how high level it was thinking back because I didn't start learning calculus until I was in college. Mm. Uh, but not, nonetheless, uh, they, they, they did have these competitions. How'd you get picked for that? Your teachers just kind of noticed, or you just yeah yeah heard the about teacher, it. The teacher picked it up, huh? They could just tell what. So you enjoyed math before oh, yeah. it happened. That, that was the thing. I really enjoyed it. Mm. So this this was fun. Mm. So what did you love about it? Is it what was as a kid? What did you love? Looking back, if you had to remember, what was it? Well, that... I think it's pro probably like most economists who get into that kind of work. It it it's like puzzle solving. Yeah. There's something really rewarding about that. And I and I used to work a lot on my, my homeworks with my dad. Mm. That, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Homework with the dad. That is fun. Um uh so you also played baseball. You were yeah. you were you were enjoying these math classes. Uh did you know what economics was? Um, I didn't really pick up economics as an interest until uh, fairly late in college. Mm. I, I I studied operations research and statistics, but I was in the business school. At the Ohio uh, State? I, at Ohio State. I, I lost my interest in being in a business school when I was a senior, dropped it and went over to the economics department and graduated oh. from there. Okay. Walk me through that. So you end up going to Ohio State and because, you know, you're living in Ohio, you're going to go, you end up going to Ohio State. And what you like immediately kind of sort into this kind of you're in, you're sorting into a math major uh, stats major. Well, it was it was statistics and operations research. It was production management and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, that 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 was early on. Although at the time Ohio State was on a quarter system, and I went to school year round. It was possible to take a million different courses because mm -hmm. there are three ten ten week sessions. Mm. during the academic year and a summer session. So I, I, I was able to take all kinds of different courses. Mm -hmm. And uh, also at the time, it was, it was different from now. Uh, the, the business school program required several economics courses. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't all of a sudden hit it for the first time. I had to have courses in labor economics and economic history. You even had to go thing. that far? It wasn't just the principal stuff? They were exactly. Wow. Yeah, the business business school requires something like six or seven courses in economics. Oh, I, I don't think they do now. They did back then, though. They did, yeah. And at the time, I was taking statistics courses as well. So what? Something starts to happen? You start getting disillusioned with one thing and curious about another thing? Well, disillusioned may be a little strong. I didn't find it very interesting. Mm. And there, there was a chance to do something more interesting in the econ department. Do mm. you remember any of these guys' names, these professors? Um, yeah, Michael Darby, mm. who he was, a, he became an official at Treasury at some point. Uh, 
P-A-V-B Swami, whose name you might recognize. He's an econometrician. You ever heard of these people? No. I feel like I've heard them, but I can't place some of these. I can't. I'm not positive I have. You know, the kind of fun thing is uh, having gotten to where I got to in econometrics, I started hearing from people that I had taken courses from, and they were they were writing to me for advice about econometrics. <laughs> that must feel fun. I, I still get a big kick out of that. <laughs> so so I, I, uh, I, I remember Goldberger pulling me aside and asking me about how ordered probit models work. Really? Wow. Yeah. Now that's something to make sure to write down. So that, that was a treat. That was yeah, a treat. I would have put that in the uh, annual accomplishments thing they make me fill out here. Um, wow, that's neat. Well, wait a second. Uh, you are at Ohio State. You're not super interested. So do you just drop the OR major? The OR stats major, or do you have like a double major? It, it's sort of a double major. I, I actually graduated from the business school at Ohio State, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I took a lot more economics courses when I decided to move over. I was I was sort of headed to an MBA program, and changed my mind and decided I didn't want to go into an MBA program. Oh, so I loaded up on economics courses and applied to graduate school in economics. Oh, you graduated and it would have been a logical thing to do an MBA and you didn't want to do one. That's right. Oh, but you wanted to keep, but you wanted to do something. You wanted to go to, to do a graduate degree. Oh, I wanted to be a professor. I decided that early on. When did you decide that? What happened to yeah, me? Fairly, fairly early in college. It just seemed like a great job. Yeah. Okay. But you weren't sure what, what was it you thought that a professor. Well, I, like I said, I was, I was into the uh, business school. Uh -huh. and I, I was ultimately going to end up in an MBA program. I think I applied to Brown and a couple others. Mm. But at that time, I lost interest in business as a as a subject to study. Mm. And since I was required to take all these econ courses, that's where I picked it up. Well, do you could you explain to me as though I'm not an economist, like imagine just trying to explain to somebody they would think some people would say, well, Econ and business are the same thing. What what exactly was it that you started to say, no, this isn't interesting. This is kind of interesting. What What's the key thing you remember noticing? Well, at the business school, I had to be involved in uh, marketing courses, uh, accounting, finance. I, 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 I still consider accounting to be among the most useful courses I ever took. Mm -hmm. But j just as a skill, not not as a profession. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it became that way for studying business generally. Mm -hmm. And at the time, because I had to take all these economics courses, and I was able to take statistics courses, mm -hmm. uh, that was just a natural place to move sideways in, into mm -hmm. a new field. Um, I, I was also able to take econometrics classes. I, I took some graduate econometrics classes as an undergraduate. And that worked out well. Yeah. So I, I discovered econometrics and statistics fairly early on. Do you feel, Did you? do you remember kind of feeling something as an undergrad in those econometrics classes and going, I think I might be better at this than I, I might be really good at this. Do you kind of remember any sort of feeling like this, this well, might actually be a good fit? I, well, I, I certainly enjoyed it. I, I, I hate to say I didn't enjoy the some of the courses very much. They weren't taught very well, but the material came through anyway. Yeah. So I, I just developed a liking for the field. Mm. Mm. Econometrics just seemed really interesting. Econometrics and statistics. Uh, just coincidentally, I had a job at uh, at Ohio State uh, to to sort of do work study kind of thing. And I, I worked in the computer lab. Mm. So I, I was hanging around with statisticians and statistics majors and, and economists. And that, that, uh, that all fit together very nicely. Do you think that you, I don't want to prime this conversation, but this is something I was going to ask about later. You know, were you sort of unique in your age cohort of economists, econometricians for sort of, 
taking advantage of or being knowledgeable about computers? I'm just thinking about we're going to I want to ask you about LimDep in a little bit, but like mm -hmm. it, it seems like you were quick to capitalize on computers in ways that maybe not as many people did. But what I don't know if that question makes any sense. I know I, it, may, it makes great sense. And I think you're, you're right. Uh, when, when I was in Madison, uh, there was there was kind of a wave of this kind of work going on there. Hmm. There were a, a couple of pieces of software that were written at the time I was there. Hmm. And it was it was part of a general, I, I don't want to call it a trend, but just there was an island of work, kind of creative work in that area. Uh, there were a couple of statistics packages that grew up at Wisconsin at that time. And, and also uh, a, a professor named uh, Carl Yorskog hmm. uh, went through there. Uh, he, was a, he was a friend of Goldberger's. Hmm. And he had a lot to do with uh, s some of the emerging software at the time. Hmm. He, he came through Madison and there were a bunch of working papers that came out of his work. And and I just picked that up as I went along. So at Wisconsin is where you're beginning to kind of interact with software a little bit more. You're not doing that as an undergrad, I guess. You're like, hey. no, I did, I did. And my my oh. senior my senior year at Ohio State, I worked in a data lab. Oh, that was the lab. Okay, got it. Yeah, and I I was managing the statistics packages, which you, we're talking really primitive here. This was a long time ago. These were the boxes of cards. Ah, uh, right, right. Uh, they, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a package called the biomedical BMDP. You ever heard of that? No. Okay. There was a, a software package. It grew up into something, but uh, I, I was responsible for managing that suite of programs. What does that mean to manage a box of cards? So, well, the, the, so you to run the program, you had to use the source code that was on those cards. Uh -huh. And we're talking the uh, primitive days of computing here at a time when, when software was encoded uh, on 80-column uh, cards. Mm -hmm. And to run a program, you would first feed the cards to a card reader, which contained the, the language. And then that would get translated after being read internally into a computer. Mm. You, you got to imagine how far back this. Goes. I can't even wrap my head around what we're talking about right now. I, I, I know it's, it's. I I teaching my my uh, MBA students at NYU once. I took a survey of the class and asked how many of them had any idea what an eighty-column punch card was. This class was about sixty people. Yeah. Not one. Not one knew what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know what it was because my dad was a was a programmer, but it was more like I knew, you know, I, I've never touched one. So I've never like had to do it. Yeah. Uh, let me let me ask you this question. I read this article and they were saying that, you know, right now, a lot of under a lot of students don't think in terms of hierarchical directories like something about the way that they've grown up with like Google search and with phones that search, they, when they teach these econometrics or statistics classes, students aren't always naturally building up like layered directories. And the article was written where it was like, you know, talking about the challenges of this transition, but I just was like reading it and I thought, you know, what's weird is my brain just thinks really in terms of spreadsheets and directories. It's like right. data is a spreadsheet and you navigate directories because I grew up on DOS. And so I'm just. Well, that marks you was pretty old too, by the way. I know. I know. We had a <laughs> PS2 model 30 and I had a, I ran a bulletin board and, and uh, as a little kid, when I moved, uh, I mean, when in Mississippi, when I moved in the eighth grade, I started a bulletin board and just like all my friends were hackers. But so let me ask something is when you grow up on punch cards and you program in punch cards, does your brain, do you think about data and programming in a way that is almost antiquated when you move into 
the way it's um, done. I, 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 that may overstate it. Uh, I, I learned computing at Ohio State. Uh, I learned it with several languages. Uh, uh -huh. I learned something uh, called assembly language, which is as primitive as it gets. Yeah. We used to say that's down close to the metal. Yeah. I also learned to program in Fortran and COBOL, which yeah. I gather COBOL still exists. And Fortran is a language of choice in some fields. Mm -hmm. And these languages evolved. But what, what evolved at the same time was the software based on these languages. And this is what's causing the changes that you were talking about. Better algorithms and better search algorithms mean you can search for material in different ways. Mm -hmm. and find and, and locate information in different ways more more efficiently than before mm -hmm. and students get used to using those tools right uh, even now you can think well well people use r which is a very high level language but it is a programming language yeah so r has supplanted more primitive languages like fortran yeah so yeah. people are, are not used to programming the way that Fortran requires because they can use R, which has big procedures. Yeah. A, a short name invokes a lot of computing that yeah. otherwise had to be done in, in piecemeal. Right, 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 right. So, so you're in college, you are managing software, basically. You go to Wisconsin and you do you enter into the wisconsin cohort do you think with like some natural human capital around software that was a little bit scarce for that probably so yes you you think you do you remember your faculties making note of it at all um i don't know if the faculty did i used to be a sort of internal consultant with other graduate students Mm. I, I helped them with computing. Hmm. Did you ever? Did you ever notice to yourself I might have skills that aren't just econometrics, but that are really complementary to econometrics? Did you ever? Well, the, the, this computing business, and I, th I think it's still the case, is is a very useful and powerful complement. Mm -hmm. to the, the skills, whatever skills those are mm -hmm. that uh, the one brings into being an economist. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. So you get in and out of Wisconsin really fast. Wikipedia has you getting there in 72 and graduating in 76. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. Was that fast back then? That's so fast. Um, it, was, it was pretty fast. The, the day that I took my final oral exam, they, three people did it that day. Mm -hmm. It was quite an unusual day. It was, so the mode would have been five back then. And yeah. And so you were, so why did you get in and out so fast? You think I was just able to finish what had to get done. What'd you work on? Well, my uh, major undergraduate uh, or graduate uh, was in econometrics and uh, I guess microeconomics my thesis was about production and cost functions. Is that that JP? Was that your job market paper? That yes, one, that was it your is. job market paper. Oh, That's correct. Wow. wow. And there was a second one that was sort of similar to it, but the JPE paper took up most of the meat of that study. Wow. What did it feel like getting a JPE on your job market paper? That's like, pretty exciting. It was you. You. you that, but wait a minute. Now, that wasn't my first paper. Really, it wasn't. What was I actually paper? I got a I got a paper in Econometrica. Whoa. Well, now wait a minute. <laughs> I have a suspicion that it's the shortest paper ever published in Econometrica. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I submitted this. Uh, it, it was really econometrics paper, but they didn't really like it. And he said, "Well, you could make it a note." They used to do notes. Uh huh. So this twenty-five page paper became four pages. Oh man, that's a skill. But now wait, they didn't like the four pages either. <laughs> so I ended up with a, about a six or seven line paragraph. Oh gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> and that was my first paper in Econometrica. Wow. Has that been cited much? I don't think it's ever been cited. 
That's amazing. <laughs> I didn't know to get a 25 page econometric article down to six or seven lines is, is must be brilliant that to be able to, to, be able to do <laughs> well, that. I don't know if they would use the word brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> My, if they told me to get something down from 25 pages down, it would just be 25 different pages. It would just, I, I have no ability to get it shorter. Uh, that's amazing. So you, but you, so you, you, ha, you don't go directly to NYU. You go to this thing, uh, civil, civil aeronautics board. No, no. I, uh, I went to Cornell university. Oh, my, my, okay. my first job was at Cornell. Oh, oh, that was your first job. Okay. 1976 to 1981. I was at Cornell. Oh, why do I, why do I have something about, so I thought I saw that you went to the civil aeronautics board. I did. Uh, I went to the CAB in 82, but for the summer. Oh, I just, I just took a summer job at the CAB. Oh, Wikipedia doesn't even mention Cornell and then has something you just Is that did. right? Yeah, we need to. Okay. It's impossible to upgrade, update anything on Wikipedia anymore. But um, you have to get past the, the editor cartel. They're 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 uh, they're hard to get past. So. I, re I remember we there's, there's a Wikipedia page for Limdeb. Yeah, we had, to, oh, we, had to, we had to edit it, and then the, there were a bunch of trolls running the show. Yeah, uh, it was like getting past Attila the Hun. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think that's probably still true. Who knows what Chat GPT is doing to the Wikipedia community though. So you, all right, so you go to Cornell. So you're there for five years. So what was that like? Um, not like very, it, it wasn't the best time of my life. Uh, Cornell's department was was pretty good, but they were they were number 16. They always thought they should have been number 11. Ah, uh, um, that's a big jump. That, that one, yeah. that one, you got to do a lot it, of- It was okay. It was okay. It was a nice job. Uh, and I know we, we used to teach our classes in the morning and then go skiing in a nearby ski area in the afternoon. That, that's kind of a nice arrangement. Mm. And the, the, the scenery around there is terrific. It's uh, Living upstate is kind of nice. Yeah. You were kind uh, of back home a little bit. Um, Not totally, but I mean, uh, how far away is that from Long Island? A couple hundred miles. Oh, okay. It's totally different. Yeah, it's like you're not... Yeah. Can't just it's, drive up the town. It's up. It's upstate New York, which is. But upstate New York is beautiful. I mean, yeah, it, it was a nice place to live. Ithaca is a, a nice leafy town, mm -hmm. interesting town. Mm -hmm. um, Cornell as a place to work was okay. Um, the students were great. Were the who were, were some really, of the econometrician, econometricians that were your colleagues? Uh, well, Nick Kiefer uh, was the the main person. Yeah. Um, can't think of. While I was still there, uh, I taught the two graduate econometrics classes that they offered. Yeah. And then Nick came. And they could broaden the program a little bit, but I left soon after he arrived. Maybe a year or two after he came. So you're doing this like empirical I/O econometrics I that's, guess that's if, right. if i like had to describe the research agenda would that be accurate although now i think of you it's, as a, it's it's rather different from contemporary uh io yeah but uh at the time i guess you'd think of it as as uh, industrial organization yeah because you're my, doing my thesis function. in the jpe paper was about economies of scale mm which fed into restructuring the electricity business. Mm, so it's kind of getting into like regulatory. Yes. That's, that's, is that the connection with this summer thing at the CAB? No, no. no the no, the summer it. thing at the CAB was just a, a summer job I took. Uh, I, w I was going to be leaving uh, Cornell soon after that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so you, so it's like you're working on, empirical io but you don't feel comfortable kind of calling it that would you have called it that back then though empirical io did they have that phrase back then well they they did and i wouldn't say it was the same thing it was more econometrics 
It was. I, I did. I did do a subfield in in what we called industrial organization at the time. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's rather rather different from what we think of as applied micro, which is what it evolved into. Bill, I don't understand the distinction. So you're you it it's like why wouldn't it just be why what is the why would it be econometrics and not like. IO, you're you're the, talking the, par about the paradigm of the paradigm of IO has changed completely mm -hmm. since then. Um, in, in the 1970s, we're talking about uh, a methodology uh, pioneered by Leonard Weiss and, and a couple mm -hmm. other people who, who looked at uh, oligopoly models uh -huh. and behavior of oligopolies, and that's the meat of what would have been called industrial organization at the time. Mm. Mm. And then you had theories of regulation, but, but rather unlike it, it's done now. Well, that, that, that group has evolved. But are you kind of describing in your own specialization that you know, that you felt like you were more of an econometrician in those applications is that what you're kind of saying? Because yes, that, that's, that's, that's what you're trying to say. Okay. That is correct. I, I thought I of my graduate work as econometrics. Oh, well, so then how would you have described like, you know, in your research statement, you know, in like 1985, like the last 10 years, what would you have said? Like, is your up to that, that, that point, what your like research agenda was in econometrics? Well, by 1985, I was involved in two, rather narrower subfields, uh, discrete choice modeling, which was beginning at that time. So I was in that early. Mm. And also frontiers and efficiency. So Catholic frontiers and efficiency. I was one of the early people in that in that area. Mm. How did you get into those two things? Was that a natural progression from where you started? Or was that like a big jump? Um, the discrete choice stuff just flowed out of my... Uh, work I was doing writing LIMDAP actually to tell you the truth I in both of these cases they're just things I found interesting yeah and I encountered in the literature they seemed really intriguing so I followed through with them we need to talk about LIMDAP now that you brought it's been brought up twice so now because now it looks like it's going to matter for the other conversation so what for those people that are listening they've some of them have never heard of LIMDAP so can you tell us what that is well they, they may have heard of NLOGIT uh Lim, LIMDAP when it was first uh, being written was about the Tobit model. Mm. I wrote code to fit Tobit models that my colleagues in the graduate program were using. And then- At Cornell? At Cornell or at NYU? No, at, at Wisconsin. At Wisconsin. Oh, this was all the way back in the, the at grad school. I, I started doing this stuff when I was in graduate school. Oh, you were writing this code for the Tobit model in graduate school and your colleagues were using it. Yeah, that's correct. Oh. And I also, if I think back to the earliest work I did, uh, I wrote another program for multinomial logic. Mm -hmm. And these, these two things sat side by side. And my thinking was, well, I could hook these things together and, and not have separate pieces of software for these two functions mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. that doing that requires not only the operations themselves but an interface so the user can tell the software uh, which one it wants where the data are and uh, big that's the beginnings of uh, an interface language What's an interface language? What does that mean? That's the end that, that, user? That, that's the the means by which a user communicates to the software what they want to do. You're, you're used to doing this. You do this. You, uh -huh. uh, you, you've you done empirical work. You ever fit a probit model? Yeah. Okay. Well, the what, what did you use? Stata? Yeah, it's all there. I mean, I use R because uh, oh. they make me, but I use Stata. Okay. So Stata has a command, probit. Mm -hmm. It takes computer code to resolve your desire to fit a probit model with the machinery inside the software that will do it. 
So until you're making this interface software, what are your in counterfactual, what are people being forced to do instead? Um, I'm trying to think. We're not as, as early on uh, in the uh, development of software as, as it might seem. There, there were elaborate packages. Uh, so there was something called TSP. Yeah, TSP. We had to use which, it. Which Clint, was developed. Right? There was a guy named Clint that ran it. Uh, yeah. That was my professor, Scott Atkinson. He was always calling Clint on the phone to like get something at it or something. Yes, I remember. I don't remember Clint's last name, but I know who you're talking about. So, so uh, TSP was developed in the 1960s, 1970s. Mm -hmm. And it contained an interface. It was a, an elaborate package. TSP was an amazing piece of work. I mean, they, they got... Uh, it was appreciated at the time what a great piece of work it was. Hmm. It's, not, it's not like people discovered later. They knew when it was being done. Um, and I think that TSP was the first econometrics package that allowed the user to specify a model symbolically hmm. uh, and write, write down a model in, in, in the program's own code. But where you say probe it and then you list the set of variable names, that's that's the protocol between you and the, and the program. Yeah. So you you feed that stream of characters, and the program knows how to turn that into a command to fit a probit model and use the data identified with those names in the model. Yeah. And you're so you're writing LimDep for yeah. models that obviously TSP doesn't have, I guess. That's the problem. Like, um, yes. For limitation. The, the, the multinomial logit model was invented in the latest 1960s, maybe in the beginning of the 70s. So there existed a program that could fit the multinomial logit model because Nurlov and Press did it, and McFadden and Train did it. But uh, what, what I did was stitch these things together inside a, a, a bigger package that had a menu of things that you could choose from. Once I had the multinomial logit and the Tobit model stuck together in the same package, it was then easy uh, with, with a kind of hub and spoke design to staple onto that a probit estimator, which it, it's a very short step from Tobit to probit. Right. And then, uh, then thing, things I picked up along the way, the menu grew, the package grew. Do you, so is this like a side gig that you're kind of doing as a- Yeah, very, very much so. But people are asking for it, but there's no email. So how are you getting this? How are you getting this software to people? You're mailing something to them in the mail or something? Um, trying to remember now i i distributed let, let's get the timing right so when i was in graduate school it was all within the department at wisconsin mm -hmm. didn't oh, get out circulated within the department uh i was at cornell that i first started sending it to other people oh, are you share what are you sharing it's not a floppy disk that's that's an interesting question so at the very beginning i used to distribute it on nine inch reels of tape mm. computer tapes now there's like 800 feet of tape what, on an own personal copy of this tape or are you copying it for someone that's got to be expensive. no I, I would go to the bookstore and buy a there's current stock of tapes and i would copy the software onto these tapes for that cost uh they, they weren't that expensive the computer tapes were pretty cheap You're just giving it away to people I, I wasn't giving it away i think the uh i first got money for it in 19 uh <sighs> early 1970s i think i was at cornell hmm you're get, so you're so like what would happen? Somebody writes you a letter in the mail at Cornell, and you're like, 
some I, guy. Had, I'm trying to remember when email made its way into this, and I'm 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 sort of missing the thread here. There's a gap in my memory. Dad, I remember when we moved to Memphis. Memphis State had a Vax account and Unix account emails for the faculty, and that would have been like late '89. But I want to say it's isn't it more the '80s when there's a lot of this adoption of email? Yes. Yeah, it is. You're right. And it was in the 80s that I started distributing the program. And, and originally when I did it, I distributed the source language on tape. You'd just stick it in a box. You'd like package it and you'd send it to some, some professor at Chicago or something. That's correct. Huh. Who are some of the early people that were writing you that I would know? About? Oh, there's a, there's a club out there. I can't I can't think of names. Uh, one of them was my my wife, uh, who used it with some colleagues of hers. She was a faculty or PhD student in economics. Not not in my department, but yes. Oh, and so she wrote you and wanted a copy of. And they're so what they asking for Bill. They're asking for they're asking for. I want. It's basically the equivalent of. I want your multinomial logit code. I want your Tobit code. Is that what they're that's, asking? That, that's correct. And you're over time, you're going, well, now I'm going to add in conditional logit, or I'm going to add in, like, I'm going to start at, you started adding in. That's lim right. Limited dependent variable. Model. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where the name came from. Yeah. Yes. How big did it get? Well, you, you got to come up to the present. Well, it did, as a company, it never got very big. Although, I don't know, they do re gross revenue over the entire span of time is in the millions. Yeah, um, it's, it's not large now. Um, the the methodology of software has changed. Although this, we we still sell some. How did that feel? Did it make you feel like you're an entrepreneur to kind of? Well, I always made the decision. Do I want to be a businessman or do I want to be a professor? That's and right. I decided I wanted to be a professor. Yeah, because you had that bad experience in business school back in the back when you were a kid. Yeah, so, well, I, I like the the academy. I like being inside a university. Well, uh, how many, before you sold it, how many models did, did LimDep software have inside of it that you had personally created? Oh, there was there was a pile of them. They learned how to do regression, two mm. stage least squares, probit, a couple of variations of probit and logit, multinomial logit, that kind of thing. There, there was a handful. That's that stuff continues to grow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of these are, are new techniques that have grown up in that time. Like for example, the mixed logit models are are creatures of the last uh, say 10, 10, 12 years. Well, so pivoting a little bit to the textbook, yeah. does textbook get born out of all of this activity in a way? I mean, I know yeah. all this stuff is compelled. Well, I, I can I can nail down on why I wrote the textbook, actually. Yeah. And you're right. There is a connection there. At the time that I started writing that textbook, the bestseller was Tile. Are you familiar with that? Oh. Okay, there's a that was written by Henri Tile, H E N R I, last name T H E I L. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and yeah, that name. If, if you take a look at that book, it does linear regression from cover to cover. Uh huh. There's an advanced topics chapter at the end of the book, which is the probit model with one exogenous variable, mm. and. Uh, this was at a time I was doing all this work on limited and qualitative variables. Yeah. This is, and I, I'm I'm thinking there's there's an opening in the market here. Yeah. For a book on uh, these these sorts of topics. Mm -hmm. Now the profession doesn't take kindly to young professors writing textbooks. Yeah. But. Uh, I was I was far enough along. I was like ten years into my career. You were at NYU. Uh, I I had yes. This took place at NYU. So you're like this is like what like eighty five thereabouts. Yeah, Actually, it took quite a, it took quite a long time to write it because I took a two year hiatus. 
I mean, I only know the the later editions, and they, it's a huge textbook. So was the first edition a big textbook like that? Yeah, it's it was comprehensive. I mean, when I think of the book, I don't think of a book that's just qualitative dependent variables. I, no, 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 no. It's 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 meant to be a complete course in econometrics. You were motivated because of this gap that Tile did not really his his was not comprehensive. It did not cover. Well, there, there were there were other books at the time. There was one by Jack Johnston. Huh? Uh, there, was, there was a very famous book by Arthur Goldberger, Econometric yeah. Theory. Yeah. And it, it struck me that there was room here to start building nonlinear models and creative people were using nonlinear techniques and, and these weren't taught in the textbook. Mm -hmm. So that's why I wrote that. So let me ask you, why aren't you at this time content to just write your papers and teach your classes? Why are you like making companies and and creating software for people and writing these, you know, major, very valuable textbooks? What is it about you at this time that makes you be different in that way if you had to explain it to me? Well, it was just work I enjoyed. I mean, these things fit naturally together. Yeah. Going back to when I was in graduate school, mm -hmm. um, I have to admit I, I I enjoy the consulting role, not not consulting to make money, but the consulting role that uh, makes people write to me and ask me questions about econometrics just for their own work. Uh, I enjoy that. Yeah, that, that's a that's a powerful motivator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so some of this was that. But I, I never wanted to go into business. I mean, I, a lot of what Stata does, Limdep did before Stata did it. Mm -hmm. And if I had decided to go be an entrepreneur, I guess that I would have competed in that market with them. But it just it was never what I wanted to do. Right. Do you remember? It was Finnis Welch, right? That starts Stata? That's correct. Do you remember noticing Stata like being advertised for the first time or anything like that? Not, re not really, no. Were they in competition with each other? I mean, they sounds like they are, but is that is that true? Well, it was never a very strong competition because uh, Stata and SAS embarked on a path to be large software companies. Uh huh. There, there are large economies of scale here. Yeah. Right. 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 You would have had to leave academia. And devote yourself to it. There's a guy named David Lillian, uh -huh. who who he was a time series economist at uh, I think Irvine, UC Irvine. Mm -hmm. He developed a package called Micro TSP. Yeah, which, which TSP. That's not TSP. No, it's not. It's it, it evolved into becoming eViews. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, Lillian uh, ultimately left academia to to be eViews. He he sold the uh, he ultimately sold the package for an enormous amount of money, but that was a career path. He he left the academy. Yeah, right. And that's that's what he wanted to do. Yeah, that was just never the path I wanted to take. Hmm. You thought about it though. I considered it. Yeah, didn't take long though. That you're like, no. being a professor was worth having. Yeah. So the textbook, you spent two years writing this massive. It was big. It was like a big. No, I, I spent more than two years writing it. It was it, oh, all together. Probably it probably took four. Oh, four years. Yeah. Well, so what was the immediate response by the market to the book? I, it's been fabulous. No, I mean like that first edition. What 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 surprised? Yeah. You? And it became a huge huge book so i'm just curious what you saw yeah, it did it did very well from early on mm. it really did the difference I mean, it, 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 it's not that big a market yeah, yeah, yeah so when i say it did very well my, my kids got to go to college but i didn't get a tutor house in the country yeah 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 so what do you think uh um why did it do well if you had to, if you had to explain it to me i I worked very hard to make it appeal to a wide audience and I, whatever formula I was using, it must've worked. What do you think that formula was? What makes it different? Well, 
It's now, if you, if you look at um, Jeff Wildridge's econometrics text mm. and Cameron and Trivedi's microeconometrics, th those are the main competitors. Yeah. They, uh, the, the example that riffles through both of those books and through economists do this habitually is a, is a wage equation. Yeah. And, and I thought, well, there's more life and wage equations. Right. So I've got examples from political science. Yeah. From engineering, from transport economics. Uh, one of my favorites is a, a model for pricing uh, Monet paintings, mm. auction prices. Uh, it, it just, uh, I, I wrote it to appeal to a big audience, a wide audience. Political science, sociology. Did you give people access to Limda? Like um, I did. I think it was the fourth edition had a CD tucked into the back. Yeah, I remember those old CDs in the books. Those were great. Yeah, but it, but it didn't. It wasn't a big hit. Along a big giant reel of tape on the first edition. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. It was by that time. It was. It was. Uh, it was a CD. It was a CD. Wow. Yeah. What an achievement. You must be so proud of it. I mean, I, I am. I am. Yeah. Uh, that, that's the big nut in my career. Ah, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just, uh, well, so what? Are you going to keep doing it? You got a no. ninth edition that you're working on? Oh, it's done. It's done. That's it. There won't be a ninth edition. Does the publisher come to you and say, we want there to be a ninth edition. We're going to bring on this kid. No, the program, the publisher came to me and said they wanted an eighth edition. But uh, I think that, I think I, my run may be nearly over. That was I mean, it had a it had a great run, but uh, I think the profession has moved on. That's fabulous. So, so there won't be a ninth edition. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> uh, that's the book that I studied for the prelims on with uh, Georgia. Yeah. I get a lot of mail about the the book. That, like I said, that's you know what it that's is. The, the biggest thing. I love Jeff Woldridge. Uh, I'd take a bullet for him, but. Uh, the book I, I just noticed I kept pulling out to study for the prelim, even though even though the panel class, we use Jeff's. I just I just kept using yours. I don't know what it was. I still don't know what it is. I just well, I'll tell you, the, the book has 100,000 citations. Oh, does it really? Yeah. Wow. That must make you feel so great. Yeah, it's catching on. I, that That's worth having. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Let me let me kind of wrap things up because it's top of the hour. This kind of just a conclusion. If you could go back and talk to that kid at Wisconsin who was a PhD student, nineteen seventy two to nineteen seventy six, let's say your second year, let's say like early in the program, okay? They're like they're they've they're they're they've still got a little bit of a road left, and I don't mean like a generic kid. If you could go back and talk to that kid. You know, what do you think that the young Bill Green would really benefit from knowing if you could just tell him about, you know, not necessarily give them, tell them what's going to happen, but tell them what's important that like, without giving them a clue of like, these are the events that are going to happen in your life. What if you could just go back to them and say, this is what's important in my opinion that you you know, that, that I want to give you as a gift. What do you think that they would really benefit from? I, I think the, the most satisfying aspect of my career since then has always been this working uh, to help other people with their work. Mm -hmm. I always thought about uh, Limdep and that textbook as helping other people be better at what they do. Yeah. So that, that's the most satisfying aspect mm. uh, of my career. Mm. You think that would have resonated with the young Bill Green to know that the, the, his older self really has enjoyed helping people? I think so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that's great. Well, you have helped a lot. You've helped me. I uh, am a huge admirer uh, of you and... Um, really benefited from the book. I'm one of the hundred thousand, I guess, or one of the mil millions or whatever that have just so benefited from 
you teaching econometrics and uh, I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's a resource that I have as a teacher. Huh? People write to me with questions about their work. Yeah. Because of the textbook. I, I call these 911 calls. <laughs> yeah. And I, I use them in my classes all the time. Oh. Because I figure people get to see what other people just like them. Right. Are, uh, are asking. Yeah. The, the stuff that I'm teaching, people really use it. Yep. Yep. Well, boy, we've all benefited uh, from your generosity. It's funny. No, it's, uh, I really appreciate it. Well, this has been a wonderful call. Uh, just to hear, just to, I mean, you know, this talking to you is, is one of these things where I always conclude and think, maybe we should do a part two. So I might bother you for a part two one day of, hearing more of your story, but the, just hearing a, just a little bit of what it's been like, you know, on your journey is just so neat. So I really appreciate your sharing all this with me uh, and talking to me and indulging yes, a random questions. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. You have a great, you have a great day. Okay. You too. Gotta see us through.